0: preach verses 14 through 20 this morning. In these verses, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about the struggle of the Christian life, the battle of the Christian life. I do not understand my own actions, he says. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Perhaps you've said similar words as a Christian. He talks about the flesh. He talks about indwelling sin. And his experience is our experience as Christians. We want to glorify and enjoy God, but we don't glorify and enjoy God at times. We hate sin, but we commit sin. There is a struggle that is carried on inside us. There is a battle that is fought within us. And we need help. We need the kind of help only Jesus Christ can give to us. And what we have found and what we will find is that Christ is sufficient for the struggle. His grace and His power are sufficient for the battle. He forgives us when we sin. He transforms us from the inside out. We're going to think about all that together as we look at these verses, but before we begin, let's pray. Lord, we recognize our need for your help as we come again to your word this morning. We do struggle in the Christian life against our flesh, against our indwelling sin, And we need your grace. We need your power. We need you to forgive us and to transform us. We pray that you would do that now through the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 7, I'll start reading at verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter. Our focus is going to be on 14 through 20. Actually, we'll go ahead and stop at the end of verse 20. Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. As you can see there in your sermon notes, there are two cycles in these verses. Cycle number one, Paul states a confession, and then he gives evidence of the truth of that confession, and then he draws a conclusion from that evidence. Cycle number one is in verses 14 through 17, and then cycle number two is in verses 18 through 20. Let's begin with cycle number one. We'll spend more time on number one than number two because they're very similar, as you may have heard during the reading. The confession is there in verse 14. Look again at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So Paul says something about the law here, and he says something about himself. About the law, he says that the law is spiritual. That is, from the Holy Spirit, authored by the Holy Spirit, given by the Holy Spirit. The reason he says that is because he's making the point that the law is not to blame for our spiritual condition. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing defective about the law. The law is not unspiritual. It is spiritual. The law is not fleshly. We are fleshly. The law is spiritual, but we are unspiritual at times. We break the law. And grieve the Spirit of God. But the law itself is holy and righteous and good because it comes from God. The law is spiritual because it comes from the Spirit of God. By the way, the law is spiritual in another sense, too, a related sense, in the sense that the law covers not only our actions, but also our thoughts. And our desires. It covers not just the outer man, but also the inner man. Westminster Larger Catechism number 99 says, regarding the moral law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, the law is spiritual, and so reacheth the understanding, will, affections, and all other powers of the soul, as well as words, works, and gestures. So the law covers not just physical matters, but also spiritual matters. It covers really everything about us, which is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 taught that the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, wasn't just about murder, it was also about anger. And so if you get angry at your brother, in a sense, you've broken the sixth commandment. Because the law is not just physical, it is spiritual. Jesus also taught there in the Sermon on the Mount that the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, wasn't just about adultery, it was also about lust. And so if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart, Jesus said. Because the law is not just physical, it is spiritual. By the way, if you're looking for something to do this afternoon to help you keep the Lord's Day holy, I would recommend that you read the section on the law of God in the larger catechism. It is number 91 and following, if you want to jot that down, Westminster Larger Catechism number 91 and following. It will expand your view of the breadth and the depth of God's law. It'll make you more thankful for Christ who kept the law perfectly for us and it'll show you more of what our gospel obedience of the law should look like as Christians. But again, Paul's point here in verse 14, when he says that the law is spiritual, is to say that it is from the Spirit. And so the law is not to blame for our sinful condition. That's what Paul says about the law. About himself, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin paul is describing himself as a believer here and in the rest of the chapter there is another view that he is describing himself before he was converted a good study bible would give you the reasons for each view but i believe he's describing with a lot of present tense verbs his present experience as a believer And first he says, but I am of the flesh. The law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. That is, I still have the flesh. I still have indwelling sin. I still have this remnant of corruption that remains in me. I still have the residue of the sinful nature inside me. Look at what he says in the rest of the chapter. Second half of verse 17 He refers to sin that dwells within me. First half of verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Second half of verse 20, again he refers to sin that dwells within me. Second half of verse 21, he says that evil lies close at hand. Verse 23, he says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. End of verse 24, he refers to this body of death. And the end of verse 25, he says, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Every believer has the flesh. Every believer has a remnant of corruption within them. Whether you became a Christian recently or you've been a Christian for several decades, you have the flesh. There is sin that dwells within you, indwelling sin. And therefore, you are in a constant battle, a continual struggle like Paul himself describes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's a sense in which we are Spiritual. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. We've been made alive by the Spirit of God. We are now indwelt by the Spirit of God. But there's also a sense in which we are of the flesh. We still have an enemy within us. We still have an unwelcome guest in the home of our hearts. An unwelcome pest, really. And therefore, the Christian life is a struggle and a battle. Paul also says about himself at the end of verse 14 that he is sold under sin. That is, sold as a slave to sin. Sold under slavery to sin. Now, there's a tension Here, perhaps you feel it. He is sold under sin, yet at the same time, he has been bought with the precious blood of Christ. He has been redeemed from slavery to sin. He has been ransomed and rescued and restored. And yet in practice, at times, he still lives like a slave of sin. Again, this is the case for all of us who are in Christ. Our natural drift in the flesh is back towards slavery to sin. Our sinful instinct, because of the sin that remains in us, is to revert back to living like a slave of sin. That's why Paul told us back in Romans 6, verses 12 and 13, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We've been set free from sin, and yet sometimes we live as if we were still slaves to sin. That is Paul's confession, that the law is spiritual, but that he is of the flesh, sold under sin. Now he turns to give evidence of the truth of that confession in verse 15. He says two things in verse 15. First, he says, "'For I do not understand my own actions.'" In verse 14, he said, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now he says, for, that is, here's evidence of the fact that I'm of the flesh and sold under sin. For, I do not understand my own actions. He's not saying, I do not understand my own actions intellectually. He's saying, I do not understand my own actions experientially. Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? What I don't want to do deep down. I don't get it. How could I keep doing that? That's what Paul means by I do not understand my own actions. I'm sure you've had that thought before as a Christian. I know I have. Paul continues, secondly, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. What does Paul want? Well, it's clear from the rest of the passage that he wants to obey God's law. He wants to obey God. He wants to glorify God. Second half of verse 16, he says that he agrees with the law, that it is good. Middle of verse 18, he says, I have the desire to do what is right. Beginning of verse 19, he refers to the good I want. Middle of verse 21, he says that he wants to do right. And in verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So that's what he wants That's what he desires as a Christian, as someone who's been born again. He wants to obey the law. He wants to obey God. But he says, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I want to do obedience, but instead I do sin. I hate sin, but I commit sin. I love the law, but I break the law. That conflict is the evidence of the truthfulness of his confession. His confession was that he is of the flesh, sold under sin. The evidence of the truthfulness of that confession is the fact that he doesn't do what he wants. Rather, he does what he hates. Now, the conclusion he draws from that confession and that evidence is in verses 16 and 17. He says in verse 16, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. The law is good. Paul agrees that the law is good. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to obey the law. But he does the opposite. And he recognizes that that's not because of a defect in the law It's because he is of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, that might raise a question or two in our minds when we first read it. For example, is he saying that if he does what he does not want, it's not his fault? Is he saying that he's not responsible for his sin? Because he didn't do it, his sin did it? Is he saying, my sin made me do it? Well, no. It's clear from the rest of this letter and the rest of the Bible that when we sin... We sin, and we are responsible for our sin. We are accountable for our sin. We are guilty for our sin. Paul's not excusing his sin or saying he's not responsible for his sin. He does say, it is no longer I who do it, but he's just said three times in a row, I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. I do what I do not want. So clearly, I is doing it. But then he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And even though that's a bit confusing, or maybe a lot confusing. What he seems to be saying is that when it comes to quote unquote I, Paul, there are really two things going on inside me. It's as if there are two eyes within me. I have been made new, but I am still of the flesh. I am a new creation, but I am sold under sin. I have a new heart, but I have sin that dwells within me. And so when I do what I do not want to do, there are two eyes at play, as it were. But of course, there's only one I. There's only one Paul. There's only one you. There's only one me. But Paul's just explaining the struggle and the conflict and the battle that goes on inside him. He says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. But of course, it's his sin that dwells within him. One commentator wrote, we need to recognize that Paul speaks metaphorically and the language used shouldn't be pressed to release the I of moral accountability. So the confession is that he is of the flesh, sold under sin. The evidence of the truthfulness of that confession is the fact that he doesn't do what he wants, rather he does what he hates. And the conclusion he draws is that there is this conflict within him between the I, the new man, And sin, which is, of course, his own sin. Now, let me say a few things briefly about cycle number two, and then we'll focus on some application of all this at the end. The confession in cycle two is in the first part of verse 18 there. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. So at the end of verse 17, he just referred to sin that dwells within me. Now he reiterates, nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. He continues with the evidence for that confession. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. In his own strength. In himself, by himself, he doesn't have the ability to carry out his desire to do what is right. And by the way, we should pause to remind ourselves that both the ability to do what is right and the desire to do what is right come from God. God is the one who works in us both to will and to work. That is, both to desire and to do His good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. God is the one who strengthens us so that we can do all things through Him, Philippians 4.13. God is the one who strengthens us with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, Colossians 1.11. In ourselves, we are weak. In Christ, we are strong. We can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, Ephesians 6.10 says. But Paul is saying here that part of the struggle is that he has the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Then he says in verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He wants to do good, but instead he does evil. And that's what he keeps on doing. The battle keeps on raging within him. The battle between good and evil. And once again, the conclusion is drawn from the confession and the evidence In verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want. It is no longer I who do it. But sin that dwells within me. Same wording as the conclusion back up in verse 17. Let's take a few minutes at the end here. To think about some application of all this to our lives. As Christians today. Two things. We should consider by way of application. First. We are at war. We are at war. We are at war spiritually. It's not peacetime in our soul. It's wartime in our soul. There's a battle raging within us. There's a war going on inside us. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sin has been removed from the throne but it remains in the palace, lingering and lurking. We are not on a pleasant stroll through the streets of the celestial city. We are on a dangerous journey on our way to the celestial city. We are at war. As the confession says, our sanctification is, quote, Imperfect in this life, there abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. We are in a continual and irreconcilable war as believers. The work is begun in us, but it is not yet done. We are already in Christ, but we are not yet in glory. We've been saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but not yet from the presence of sin. As Martin Luther said, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth In righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory. But all is being purified. So we're in a war. We're in a spiritual war. And knowing that, I think, can help us to have realistic expectations, biblical expectations. The Christian life is not a life of ease. Every day we need to struggle. Every day we need to wrestle. Every day we need to fight. And Romans 7 reminds us that that is the case. Romans 7 reminds us that we are at war. Secondly, Romans 7 reminds us that we need help. We need help. And our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Paul goes on to say at the end of the chapter Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is our help. Jesus Christ our Lord is our help. The kind of help we need is the kind of help only God can give. And He is gracious and He is faithful to give us that help, to help us in the fight. Christ is sufficient for our struggle. Christ is sufficient for the battle. He fights for us. And we fight in His strength. And when we fight in His strength, We win. And even though we are stuck in Romans 7, as it were, even though we're going to be in Romans 7 until the day we die or until Christ returns, not the sermon series. But our experience as Christians, we don't have to live out our days all down and depressed. There's a reason for that. And it is because even though Romans 7 is true, so is Romans 6. And so is Romans 8. Romans 6 reminds us that we have died to sin and have been raised with Christ. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, Romans 8 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within us. And we did not receive the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit helps us in our weakness. And for those who love God, all things work together for good. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God In Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we struggle in Romans 7, we do so with the power of Romans 6 and the hope of Romans 8. And one final thought. I'm sure you've wondered before. Why does God leave us in Romans 7 during our entire journey to the celestial city? If he can finish the work in a moment, like he does when a believer dies, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness, our shorter catechism says. If he can do that in a moment... Why does he choose to do it ordinarily over the course of a lifetime? Isn't it because he knows what he's doing? Isn't it because he knows that what's best for you and me and what will bring him the most glory is not our full and immediate deliverance, But that we learn to trust in Him and rely on Him and depend on Him and find in Him everything we need to fight sin and to finish the race. God is good, and all He does is good. And he works all things for our good, including our daily struggle and battle against sin. He's teaching us to trust him. He's drawing us closer to him. He's enabling us more and more to find ultimate joy and satisfaction and rest in him alone. So he knows what he's doing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you know what you're doing. Of course you know what you're doing. You are God. You are infinite in wisdom and goodness. We do struggle every day against the flesh, against the sin that dwells within us. And we need your help. We need your power. We need your grace. We need you to forgive us when we fall. We need you to transform us from the inside out. And we thank you that you are teaching us to depend on you and to draw near to you. It's so easy for us to just drift through our days without doing that. Please forgive us. And help us to find our joy and our satisfaction and our rest in you alone. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute during the...